Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. The book of Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. The Bible says, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly unto heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Praise Jesus. With the help of the Lord, I'll share a message with the title From Deacon to Preacher to Martyr. The story of Stephen. Let me repeat the title from deacon to preacher to martyr. The story of Stephen. The name Stephen comes from the Greek word Stephanos. Stephanos means a crown. And it's interesting when you think about the, his name that when his parents first gave him this name, they had no idea that their son, whom they named Stephanos, a crown, would be the first Christian martyr of the church of Jesus Christ. That he would be the first to receive the crown of life from the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I praise God. They call him Stephanos, a crown. And indeed, he received a crown of life because he was the first to be martyred for the name of Jesus. What an honor. What a tremendous honor. And because Stephen gave that which was most precious that a a human can give. The greatest gift on this earth is life. And he gave it to Jesus. He crowned Jesus with his life. Praise God. So we have to study the life of such a great man. We have to honor him by paying attention to what motivated this man? What made him tick? What made Stephen, Stephen? Praise God. Amen. So when we think about his life, you know, I'm reminded of what the Lord Jesus himself told the church of Smyrna. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus told the church of Smyrna, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Praise God. Let's all say 
a crown of life. A crown of life. When one is willing to pay the highest price for Jesus, there is a crown of life. A crown of life. Now, those of you who travel with me to Turkey, to the seven churches, you will recall that the church of Smyrna was truly a unique church. They were persecuted. This was probably the most persecuted church in those days. You remember I told you about their leader called Polycarp, who was an old man when the Romans came to arrest him because he was such an influential figure. And when they came to arrest him, he prayed. He told them, just give me a moment to pray. And he prayed in such a way, according to church tradition, that the Roman soldiers began to, they were moved and they pleaded with him. They didn't want him to be killed. They realized the man was a righteous man, a holy man. This was the church of Smyrna. It was a persecuted church, but they were faithful to Jesus. They did not deny his name, like Polycarp. Polycarp famously said that he served Jesus for most of his life, I forget, 86 years he said uh, he had served the Lord and he said the Lord had been good to him. Why, why will he deny his Jesus? A very famous answer. And in the end, they burnt him at the stake. So today I'm speaking about something which is not easy. I am sure there's nobody here who wants to be a martyr for Jesus. I mean, you should not pray for that. You should. Nobody here should want to die as a martyr for the Lord. And by the way, not many Christians get the privilege of being selected for martyrdom for Jesus. Amen. Some will say, oh, that is sad. And some say, oh, thank God. Breathe a sigh of relief. Whichever camp that you fall into, <laughs> I'm here to reassure you. I'm not preaching this because Jesus told me some of you are going to die as martyrs. <laughs> but remember, in the early church, Many faced martyrdom for the sake of the name of Jesus. So I should still say, let us not sit too comfortably. We don't know what may happen in this world we live in today. As I speak, there are Christians being martyred in different corners of the world. There are many receiving crowns of life in heaven. So the first thing I want to say is uh, we are not here to, I'm not asking you prepare to be a martyr. Uh, and by the way, the Lord told us to pray, deliver us from evil. The Bible says if the temptation is too much, the Lord will pro provide a way of escape. Amen. The Lord knows what we can tolerate and when the temptation will be too much for us. Thank God. However, the life and death of Stephen shows us what a unique blessing it is to be allowed to die as a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen, brothers and sisters, was only 30 years old. Many Bible scholars believe he was somewhere between the age of 25 and 30. A very young man. 
a candle that burnt out way before its time. And no wonder the Bible finds place for such people in the annals of the Bible Hall of Fame. Stephen and his name, and many people are called Stephen today after this great young man who in the short time that he had, he did so much for Jesus. He was a deacon, he was a preacher, and then he became a martyr before he reached the age of 30. Praise God. What a productive and beautifully lived life for Jesus. Amen. We need to study Stephen. So, I want to remind you that in heaven, the voice of the Christian martyrs is honored. And their voice will never be silenced before the Lord. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 and verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Praise Jesus. There is an altar in heaven. And under the altar are all those who were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Praise God. So. An altar is a holy place. An altar is a place of sacrifice. In heaven, you know, there is no more sacrifices. Jesus gave himself. We cannot perfect it. But see the mercy and, and the humility of our Lord Jesus that now he has an altar in heaven. And there are no cow cows and bullocks and, uh, you know, sheep on that altar. But he has an altar for the souls of those who are martyred for Jesus. Jesus has an altar. Amen. An altar is a holy place. An altar is a place of sacrifice. Jesus will always have a memorial for those who sacrifice for him. Yesterday in our prayer meeting, I was speaking about Cornelius. And I said, imagine. All that Cornelius did was to pray and give almsgiving. And that was sufficient for God to build a memorial for him in heaven. God did not build a memorial because he killed giants, because he stopped the rain, because he did some great spectacular feat. All that Cornelius did was to be faithful. In prayers. God bless those who pray every day. You also have a memorial in heaven. Because God is no discriminator of persons. Hallelujah. Amen. So. Now the Bible tells us. God has an altar. Somebody say God has an altar. So what is on that altar? Or under the altar? The souls of those. Who gave their lives for Jesus. I am convinced and it should come as no surprise that the highest honor in heaven will be given to those who laid down their lives for the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a special sacrifice. In fact, 
allow me to, I feel led at the end of this meeting to pray. If that moment comes, Jesus, that you call us to give our lives for you, give us grace. We don't want to fail him at that time when he is going to give us the greatest crown. A Stephanos, let us not be cowards. Let us not run away. May God give us the grace he gave Stephen. Hallelujah. Jesus gave everything for us, brothers and sisters. He gave everything. If God calls us and says, I'm going to allow you to choose. I hope we can say, Lord, you've been good to me. You've given everything. With pleasure, I will give you. I will seal my testimony with my blood. How much do we love ourselves? Um, and how much do you love Jesus? If you can truly say I love Jesus infinitely more than I love myself or the world or anything, I think it will be easier on that day to say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. So let's build the story because I, I'm inspired by Stephen. I, I don't mind telling you I cried a lot while I was writing this. I couldn't write. I stopped many times and cried a, a lot uh, because I realized how much Stephen loved Jesus. A young man gave his life for the Lord. Let's go to the first phase of his life. Everyone say deacon. Deacon. Before you're a martyr, you know, you need to take baby steps. Yeah? Somebody jumps up and says, oh, I want to be a martyr. Well, first be a deacon, praise God. God will not throw you into the lion's den without any training. If he knows that you are going to panic, he's going to first test you with food. Yeah, like he did Daniel. Uh, thank God he tests us with food first. Before he tests me with lions. Amen. You remember Daniel and the Hebrew children? God didn't throw them straight into the lions then. That, that comes later. I, I become afraid of lions just watching them on animal planet. I know one thing. I, I don't want to come near a lion. <laughs> but the point is, Jesus says step by step. Amen. Here a little, there a little. God trained Stephen. Did you know that? First, he will test you with the king's food. And then you tell the king, no, we have determined. We will not defile ourselves with the king's food. Test us for 10 days and you will see. And they passed the test. Amen. And then another test came, the crazy Nebuchadnezzar. All these kings were crazy, brother. Capricious. So, one thing after the other, before you face death. Only when Jesus knows that you will be victorious, he tests you and you keep passing the test, then Jesus begins to prepare the Stephanos for you. The ultimate crown, hallelujah. Because he has confidence we will pass 
that task also if it's necessary in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, Stephen began his career in Jesus, if we may call it that, first as a deacon. Let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 5 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Somebody says Stephen was honest. Next, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Wow, that, that is a bigger task. Find somebody who is honest and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Everybody say Holy Ghost and wisdom. This is important. Whom we may appoint over this business. Excuse me, what business is this? So what is this job description for? Uh, I'm sorry to surprise you if you didn't know, but to be a waiter. You say, what? A waiter needs to be honest, full of the Holy Ghost. For what? Holding plates? Uh, something, I didn't understand something somewhere here. <laughs> full of the Holy Ghost. This is like a big resume that the apostles had. For such a lowly task, such a menial task, I mean, you want somebody who is very honest, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom? For what? To be a waiter? Yes. Because you see, the Greek widows were complaining against the Hebrew widows in Jerusalem. They were saying, we are being discriminated. The church is supposed to look after the widows, but look, we are not getting our fair share of the food. And because we are in Israel and Jerusalem, clearly, the, the, the problem is you people are favoring the Hebrews. So we're not happy. There's discrimination in the church. They're accusing Peter, James, and John of being racists. Sorry to use the term, but that's what's happening. Come on. These accusations are not new in the church. I'm sorry to disappoint you. The church has every sin. We're human beings. Don't be surprised. Don't be angry if somebody may accuse you or me of all these sins. We are human beings. Peter was accused of being a discriminator. And Jesus himself confirmed. So why do some leaders have a problem when we tell them the truth? Excuse me, you are ethnocentric. Excuse me, you are discriminating or you are racist. We say it with love. Stop doing that. So, you know, to the, to the credit of the apostles, they said, hmm, yes, maybe they, they have a point. So let's do one thing. Because we don't seem to be doing this in a judicious and fair manner. So why don't we do one thing? Let's choose honest men. You know why honest? Because honest men will make sure that the Greek and Hebrew widows get this fair amount of food. Equal amount. Hallelujah. It makes sense? These are honest people. They are going to keep their eyes open. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, why we don't need, we should fight discrimination in the church? Amen? We were not making noise for no reason when we told some Christian leaders, stop with discrimination. It's not part of the kingdom of God. God made all people equal, of the same blood. We don't need discrimination in the church. God has not, there is no 
special chosen people. We are all chosen people of Jesus. Amen. There is no black. There is no white. There is no gray. There is no purple. Amen. We are all one and equal. And we must be people of a good report. Somebody, honest people. Say amen. We need Stevens in leadership. God give us honest leaders. Who will not discriminate between Hebrews and Greeks. We are not complaining for nothing. This is biblical what we are saying. God is no respecter of persons. He hates discrimination in the church. And he will punish for discrimination in the church. As he punished Miriam for speaking about Moses' Ethiopian wife. So if God punished Miriam, a prophetess, because of an unnamed Ethiopian black woman, don't you think God will judge the black Ethiopian for discriminating against other people? Come on. God is no discriminator, no respect of any person. Black, white, Ethiopian, American, European, Jesus hates discrimination in his church. He wants equality. And we have to practice it in Jesus' name. Let's chase it out of the church. You know, in, the, in football, they say, show racism the red card. The church should say the same. Show racism the red card in the church in Jesus' name. We will not tolerate racism against white people. We hate that in Jesus' name. I have challenged black people and told them you are racist. Stop it in Jesus' name. And we will do the same in every context. Amen. Because if you truly love Jesus, you love everybody. We don't just say it. We will practice it in Jesus' name. So, let's continue. I'm saying this because I didn't choose this for political reasons. Please, it just came to me now. It's not in my notes. You will see my notes later. I always put up whatever God gives me. But this is from the Spirit of God. So, God wants us to be, when there was a problem of discrimination in the church, the church did not reject it. They did not sweep it under the carpet. They prayed and God said, choose seven men of an honest report, beyond reproach, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. You need wisdom, brothers and sisters. If you are going to um, negotiate or serve tables between Greeks and Hebrews, you need wisdom. It doesn't take much to destroy unity in the church. It doesn't take much. Just disrespect somebody's language and you'll see what happens. Disrespect somebody's culture and see what happens. God have mercy. Amen. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. May Jesus Christ be our wisdom in the church. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. I may not know your culture, brother and sister, but I love you so much in Jesus because I love Jesus so much that I will ask for forgiveness quickly if I have stepped on some toe unknowingly, broken some norms and mores of your country or your culture. It's not intentional. May Jesus forgive me and may you forgive me. So we need wisdom. In the church. So I can assure you. Stephen was a unique man from the beginning. 
He didn't just become a martyr. He had qualities. He had grace from Jesus. May God make us a Stephen with grace and wisdom and honesty. God needs honest people. I'm surprised when the church cannot tolerate honest people. I don't mean to hurt anybody. I, From a young age, I just love to tell the truth. I hate when something is hidden. I hate to be deceptive. I like to be an open book. If you ask me how I'm feeling, I'll tell you exactly how I'm feeling. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what I think. Because I believe in honesty. Because the Bible says, lie not one to another. But of course, we need wisdom. May we go back to the ways of the Bible. We cannot lie to Christians. I will not deceive you. You are my family in Jesus. And you should not deceive me. Because we owe it to Jesus. He's our father and he sees everything. What did God tell David? He sent Nathan the prophet. He told him a long story. And then he asked him basically. He just said. He said you are the man. You are the culprit. Don't you think God is watching what you're doing? We cannot do bad things to brothers and sisters. Jesus is watching. He will judge everybody according to their deeds. That's sure. Amen. What about Gehazi, the servant of Elisha? What did Elisha tell him? He said, did not my eyes go with you, my spirit? When you took all this gold and silver and from, from Naaman, is this a time for gifts, taking gifts? God have mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is a time of honor for honesty. It's a time to be like Stephen. Honest people is what God is looking for. God has a resume, a CV. He wants, he has criteria if you want to serve him, if you want to be used by him. Honesty, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom, hallelujah. And Stephen had all of this. And bucket loads. Praise God. So Stephen was selected. In, in Acts 6 verse 5. The Bible says. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Huh? Not only the apostles. The whole multitude. Brother and sister. Do you notice that the church was very democratic in the beginning? I'm hearing rumors. And rumors of wars. And uh, you know. Earthquakes. There are rumors that leaders now are unable to answer questions and be humble. It's sad. Look at what the Bible is saying. The apostles didn't have a secret meeting, like some bunch of Freemasons. This is an open process. The apostles told the whole multitude, listen, what do you all think? 3,000 people are baptized in Jesus' name. Don't forget. What shall we do to solve this problem? Yes, there is a problem of discrimination in the church. I'm very sorry. And I think we are not qualified to handle it. We are apostles. We are part of the problem. Let me tell you, Peter was a very honest man. Very honest man. He must have known that he's part of the problem. He said, we suggest seven men. And guess what? All seven had Greek names. 
All had Greek names. See the wisdom of the apostles. They didn't say we are Hebrews, Jews in Israel. We are the mother, we are the father, we are the uncles, we are the cousins. Therefore, Shalom, Shabbat Israel. No, they put themselves aside and they selected seven Greek deacons, Greek names. Read their names. Philip, Nicanor, Stephen. Why? Because they don't want the Greek brothers and sisters to be offended. They want them to feel welcome. They want them to know the church in Jerusalem does not discriminate. They love them and they are taking their complaints seriously. May God help us. This message is actually for another place, another country. Amen. But let's learn something, brothers and sisters. We are not saying to condemn them. We love them. We have to tell people the truth. The truth is God does not tolerate discrimination in his church. So the apostles teach us that when there is discrimination or accusations, you should not appoint more of your people. That is a sign of you asking for trouble and more division. That's the time to listen to the complaints and give the complaints representation. Amen. If Italians are complaining, try to put Italians to take care of the problem. If the French are complaining, Monsieur and Mademoiselle, give them Frenchmen, Frenchwomen. Don't give them more Jews. You will only create more problems. This is wisdom, biblical wisdom. Amen. Because if you put your own people, it means you're a dictator. You're going the wrong way. You are full of fear. You're paranoid. You are power hungry. No, in Jesus' name. We don't want that. The church does not belong to one country or one people. It belongs to everybody. Amen. Because what happens if your country collapses tomorrow? What happens if your country becomes a failed country, failed state? What happens then? And you are scattered like the Jews to every country. What will you do? Let the church belong to the world. The body of Christ is in the whole earth today. Amen. Jesus is the head. Hallelujah. May his hand be in China. May his other hand be in USA. May his feet be in South Africa. Hallelujah. Amen. And then it's not easy to destroy the church. Because the church is everywhere. The church belongs to everyone. Today a Somali is preaching what Peter and James and John preached. Imagine telling Peter, there will be a Somali in the future who will continue your work. What? He said, where is Somali? I mean, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. So, let the church belong to everyone. Let it go to every country. We should cry if there are no leaders from Eritrea for the gospel. We should cry if there are no leaders from Mali for the gospel. We should cry if there are no leaders from Kenya for the gospel who speak Kiswahili, leaders from China. Then the church is weak. You cannot 
the more you spread the church everywhere and they have the full doctrine of the apostles and the Holy Ghost, the more Satan will be mad and angry. Huh. You know, Hitler had a big problem. He wanted to wipe out all Jews and then he found Jews everywhere. So you know what he did? He said, I, when I finish with them in Europe, he already told Morocco and Tunisia and Algeria to give uh, their Jews to him. So Jews know today that if all Jews go to Israel, they're in trouble. Wisdom says Jews should be everywhere. <laughs> to continue the legacy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't put the church in one country. The devil will destroy that country. And then what happens? Put apostolics in every country. It's what we should pray for. That's why I tell you, let's go to Ivory Coast. Thank you, Brother Frey. Hungary, thank you, Brother Lash. Now Kenya, the doors are opening. Praise God. We have a pastor. I told him, don't register under our church name. We are your brothers. We will work equally. He said, no, no, no. I will take the name of your church. There is a church going to be registered in Kenya by the name Jesus alone is God Church of Kenya. Doesn't matter whatever your name is. Call yourself the Church of the Epiphany of the John, the Revelator of the Last Days or whatever you want. What matters, because this church name doesn't save anybody, what matters is what you are preaching. Amen. Peter will come to you, Cornelius, and speak words by which you and your household will be saved. This is what we want. May God send us with his word to the four corners of the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. Our time is short. We are not here to build a memorial to a country. We are not here to worship people. Worship flags. We are here to send as many people as possible before we leave this world into heaven to be written into the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. So Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's come back to Stephen. Praise God. What a man. What an anointing. Something was going to happen. A deacon, as I said, waited at tables and served the people of God. It was not an exalted position. Listen, this was not an exalted position. This is menial. I mean, you, you really have to be humble to accept such a work. Yeah? What are you doing? Well, my ministry is to be serving women. Excuse me, women? And you're a man? And the culture in those days, you know, we don't really see what was happening. God is testing Stephen. Somebody say God is testing Stephen. If you're a brother here and God calls you to serve widows, women, uh, how excited are you going to be? Amen, Brother Simon or uh, Brother Johannes, Brother Shebe. <laughs> I think we, we, we would not tell many people. Yeah? The angel of God tells you that, you'll say, hmm, let me keep this a secret. Nobody will know about this message. Steve, the seven deacons are called. <laughs> think about it. To work among women. You know, sorry, but the culture of the world is, uh, you understand what I mean? It's like, imagine in those days, women would serve the men food, but now the men are serving the women. Please don't ever tell me that Jesus was not uh, practicing gender equality. 
Here, I gave you proof right now. He selected seven men <laughs> to serve women, yeah, to ensure, to serve at the tables. The apostles said it. I know it may offend your sense of culture or justice or whatever. Uh, somebody got shocked once when I said, I, I have no problem with feminism. <laughs> oh my goodness, Brother Paul is a feminist. By feminism, I mean that women should be treated equally with men. If they, I mean, well, the oldest form of discrimination in the world is against women. It's a fact. The oldest. Women are, they work more at home and at the job and they get paid less. How is that fair? They take care of children. They, no wonder women have more uh, breakdowns. Because they do more. They sacrifice more. I had only a mother who took, who was around. She was my whole world. So I learned to respect what my mother is doing. So if it means defending the rights of women who are oppressed, I'm a feminist, 100%. So God chose seven men to serve at the table. Which table? For women. Are you with me? Because what was the problem about? Widows in the church. Did you know the church had a ministry of serving women, take, taking care of widows? Widows who served God. Who basically left a legacy before their husbands died or whatever happened to their husband. God respected them so much, he said, let the church take care of them. Today, the government takes care of uh, widows for us or people, women who are single mothers. But in those days, the church took care. That means respect and honor widows who have served Jesus. Anybody disagree? Can we say amen? The church respected widows to the extent of appointing seven deacons to take care of them. We don't speak about this ministry. We need to be careful. If there are single mothers, if there are widows, please take care of them. Please respect them and God will bless you. Because it's a ministry in the New Testament. Amen. It's the word of God. But today we gave it over to the government. So help the single women. Help the widows. Help because they bring up tomorrow's preachers. Tomorrow's future citizens. They're doing the work of the Lord. The Lord wants godly seed. So I hope you're understanding this great work. It may not look like it's great, but after I've explained all of this, now you can appreciate the work Stephen was doing and why we have the term deacon in the church. I've seen some deacons. I wouldn't know the difference between them and the, the pastors and the bishops, but that's not how deacons started out in the beginning. Stephen teaches us, the first lesson I learned from Stephen is, Humbly accept whatever position or job the Lord Jesus gives you in the church. Can we say amen? Humbly accept with all your heart and do the best job you can. Whatever the position Jesus will give you in the beginning. Because before you want to become the great Stephen the martyr, Jesus will test you as Stephen the deacon. Stephen, the man who served at the table of widows in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah.
I know this is challenging. That's why I, I said I was crying. These things challenge me. So let me repeat again. Why did they need to be honest and filled with the Holy Spirit? Because their job was to be fair in ministering food and other resources to the Hebrew and Greek widows. This problem was threatening the unity of the first church. As I said, honesty is needed when accusations of discrimination arise. And the Holy Spirit imparts wisdom and love for the needy. Listen, the Holy Spirit imparts wisdom and love for the needy. So right here, we see the fantastic qualifications that Stephen had for the work of the Lord. And listen, Kathleen, such qualities, such beautiful, sterling qualities will not stop at the table of food and drink. Amen. Let me tell you, one of the first jobs I had in the church was to clean the toilets when I was very young. And I did it with all my heart. That was my job. So before one aspires to whatever you call great things in the kingdom of God, uh, accept whatever position God will give you. Do it with all your heart. And God will give you more responsibility. He will, in the end, give you a crown of life. Praise God. Stephen was a very humble man. We are not told how long he was doing this job. But after some time. So, so that is the first part of the message. The message is entitled from deacon to preacher to martyr. The story of Stephen. Let's go to the second part now. Stephen the preacher. I've introduced you to Stephen the deacon. Let's go to Stephen the preacher. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Stephen the preacher. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 says, And Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Wow. Excuse me, the guy who waited at the tables? What is he doing out in the, with the multitudes becoming famous? Shouldn't he be with the widows? Listen, Jesus was now promoting him because he passed the first test of humility. If God gives you a small job in the church and he says, huh, who do you think I am? I know that God called me to be a, a great preacher. And then we ask you to preach and nobody understand, understands head or tail of what you said. And you're the only one who keeps saying amen, amen, and hallelujah, and enjoy your message, and everybody else is half asleep. Then certainly Jesus did not call you to be a preacher. So this man was humble. He doesn't get any vision. Eh? No angels, no nothing. All we see is the Spirit of God moving. Praise God. And he begins to preach. And he lays hands and people are being healed. Who is going to tell Stephen, go back to the tables, waiter? The widows are waiting for you. Listen. Jesus will show us whatever he called you for. You, did Stephen get permission from anybody to become a preacher? He's anointed and appointed to be a deacon. And yet some leaders and pastors want to tell us 
that unless God speaks in their left ear or right ear, that now I'm calling Stephen to be a preacher, you can't be a preacher. You know, I am, I've come so far in my Christian journey. I was telling somebody the other day, uh, I've seen how, I'm sorry to say, church leaders play, monopolize, uh, manipulate the things of God, all because of power, power trips. And I am determined in Jesus' name to get rid of this. Let Jesus lead you and me. I don't want to control anybody or manipulate anybody. If I am, tell me to shut up in Jesus' name. Stay away. Let Jesus show what he wants to do in my life. Who are you to come and, you know, with your being nosy everywhere and get rid of that power trip in Jesus' name. We, the church has had enough of people with power ego trips in Jesus' name. Let Jesus lead people. Clap for them. Encourage them. That's the best thing you can do. Instead of trying to manipulate and we, we don't need narcissists in the kingdom of God. Sorry to speak personally. If I would have listened to people over the years trying to tell me what or what I should not do, I wouldn't have done half the things I've done for Jesus. I just smiled, looked at them and still did what I needed to do because I felt Jesus telling me to do. By their fruits, you will know. them. Let your fruit silence people. Amen. So if, if a person is not going to do something for them, why do you stop people from doing it? Let them go and do what they need to do. And we will see by the fruit. Nobody stopped Stephen from preaching. Peter didn't come to him and say, excuse me, uh, I think you should be at the table. Didn't I appoint you for the table? If you want to preach, preach to the widows, please. Can you not heal the widows, please? <laughs> You see, people want to manipulate and tell you where your ministry is supposed to be or not supposed to be. It's time to say enough is enough. We are not listening. We became deaf to such preachers and messages. We need Jesus to lead us. If you tomorrow come to me and tell me, Jesus told me I'm going to raise up 50 people from the dead, I will say, why not 500 in Jesus' name? May it happen. May another 450 be raised up. But make sure you do it. Eh? I mean, that's, that's all we want. So we don't want false preachers or false prophets. No. But I believe in clapping first for everybody. Let them go. Let them do what they want to do. Some ministers feel that they have a ministry to tell everybody what their ministry is. See, they don't have their ministry is to tell everybody what their ministry is. I don't find this ministry in the Bible. Amen. Only Jesus should tell you what your ministry is. I, I don't, uh, when somebody tells me Jesus told me to do this, why not? Amen. I'm happy Jesus is speaking to you. This is what I'm trying to preach to you. Praise God. You remember Ananias? Imagine if Ananias were to advise Saul of Tarsus. Saul, uh, I'm a man of God. I pray. Listen to me. Uh, I, I don't even believe that you saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. You're a very dangerous man, my friend. Uh, not even my friend. I, I, I don't trust you. And now you're telling me 
that you actually, Jesus sent you to be baptized by me, Europe. He would have ruined the ministry of the Apostle Paul. That's why Jesus told Ananias, go your way. You know what go your way means? Excuse me, be quiet and stay out of this. This is a chosen vessel for me. When God calls you, don't let Ananias get in your way. Tell Ananias, go your way. When Jesus was leaving, you know, Peter and others said, Lord, what will John do? You know what Jesus told them? Hey, what, what, what is, in simple English, it's not your business. Huh? What will this man do? You see, some people have a burden for other people's ministry. Their ministry is to try to check what other people's ministry is. What answer do you think Jesus will give you? You know, once I made the mistake many, many years ago, I, I was in... And I uh, had a big burden. I, I was fasting, praying, seeking the Lord for something. So I was in India and I asked everybody, please pray. Those who fast and pray, pray for me to know the will of God. You know what the Lord told them? And they were really honest people, serious. One sister told Bishop Solomon, you know what the Lord told us? He said, brother Paul is my servant. How I use him is nobody's business. He's my servant. I will use him the way I want. This is what the Lord told these sisters. It's nobody's business. No one's business but Jesus and me. Amen. There was a song I sang about. No one's business. but So I'm telling, I'm here to tell you. Don't limit your ministry to the opinions of Ananias and others. Let Jesus speak to you. Even Samuel had no idea about David's ministry. He has no idea. If it's left to Samuel, he would anoint the wrong person. And Israel would never have had King David. We don't know who God calls and how he uses people. Let's be honest. That's what the Bible is saying. So when next time you meet a pastor who's trying to act like he knows exactly how God is going to use, tell him, excuse me, Pastor Vitaire. I I don't want to you to become an Ananias in Jesus. You know, don't say these things. But you understand what I'm trying to say in Jesus' name? We need the spirit of God to lead us but I'm not saying that of course we shouldn't talk to our pastor and consult but ultimately God has to be the one to lead you because you are not you are going to give an account to Jesus ultimately your pastor will give an account of your Christian life but you have to give an account to Jesus ultimately for the pastor who you decided to come under. And imagine if Samuel told the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you because Eli told me not to talk to you. There is a time God can speak directly and he bypassed the pastor. I'm telling you straight from the Bible. A wise pastor, a humble pastor, it's like Eli. Actually, Eli was a good man. He was a humble man. He said, it's the, it's the Lord. Let him do what he wants because it was true. Let him judge me. Let's be humble, brothers and sisters. The time of pastors abusing sheep is over. We don't owe them. We are, the time of slavery is over a long time ago. Amen. The souls belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. Let Jesus do what he wants with the souls. Respect the souls. Be careful. Hallelujah. Amen. 
let's continue. Sorry for the strong words, but let the Spirit of God speak. We have to tolerate. I'm speaking to myself first and foremost. So let's continue. You see, it wasn't long before the Spirit of the Lord began to use Stephen towards a full-fledged ministry. Notice nobody, and now I'm speaking about the great men of God. Nobody stopped him. Nobody troubled him. Humans may select you for specific jobs which they deem to match with your qualities, but the Spirit of the Lord selected Stephen for preaching and mighty works. Stephen could no longer be bound to serving at tables. The Lord promoted him to preacher now. And what a mighty preacher he was. Let's read the book of Acts chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. The book of Acts chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alex Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. You know what the Bible is trying to tell us? Stephen was now an international preacher. Ooh, hallelujah. Not just a local preacher. Listen to where all these people were from. Libertines, these were people with the philosophy. But they were from Greece. Cyrenians, you know where Cyrenia is from? North Africa. Alexandrians, Egypt. Cilicia, <laughs> friends of Saul of Tarsus, Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom of the Spirit. Listen, the man who was a waiter is now arguing and confounding international philosophers. How about that? Because Jesus is with him. He is filled with the Holy Ghost. What is the number one qualification to do the work of God? Be filled with the Holy Ghost. What is the number two qualification? Be filled with the Holy Ghost. What is number three? Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And God was shaking people around him. Hallelujah. You want to preach well? I'm telling you, stay on your knees till you are filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you will see Every message, hallelujah, burning with fire, leaping out of your soul from the Holy Ghost, hallelujah. Lighting everything around you up, hallelujah. This is the Holy Ghost, praise God. Without the Holy Ghost, I hate preaching. I'm telling you, it's torture. But when you feel the Spirit, praise God. You know, you, you just can't, you don't want to stop it. Because it's life. Hallelujah. Every word is emerging from the furnace of heavenly fire. Praise God. It's wonderful when you, one is filled with the Holy Ghost. I would have given anything to hear Stephen preach. I mentioned earlier the wisdom of Stephen. Now, this wisdom was in full bloom with the best debaters of international synagogues. Here is the second lesson we learn from the life of Stephen. 
It is not titles, brothers and sisters. It is not natural gifts and dispositions, but it is relying on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which matters. Can we say amen? And I'm speaking first and foremost to myself. I have a very nice title. I love it. But I always am reminded by the Lord, your title is useless when it comes to preaching the gospel. Do not rely. Somebody was telling me some time ago, he said, when we hear you preach, it's like nobody would imagine you're a professor because you, you say things which professors don't say. And I say, I'm happy. Thank you. I see that as a compliment. Praise God. If I began to preach like a professor, I'm in trouble. And you're in trouble. We'll all die. God have mercy. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God that we rely not on training and books and formulas and theories and methods and research methods, but we rely on the fire of the Holy Ghost. Praise God which Isaiah relied upon, which Elijah relied upon, which David relied upon, which Peter, James, John, Paul relied upon. Amen. May God help us, brothers and sisters, to rely on the Holy Ghost when we preach, when we speak, when we testify, when we witness to people. Amen. May we be brands plucked from the fire. Amen. I've heard many times this story. I haven't been able to verify it, but it's well known uh, among many churches in the USA in the old days. The Chinese were wondering, what is the unique gift that the United States of America has? What is unique about this country? Why do they dominate the world? Where's the secret of their power? In every way you look at it, they seem to be ahead of the world. We're all playing catch up with the USA. We live in a world made by the USA. Let's be frank. Look at your computer. Who, where did it come from? You say, I'm hungry. I'll go to McDonald's. Yeah, thank the Americans again. Well, I, I, you know, I'm tired of my country. I want to take a flight. Yeah, thank the Americans, the Wright brothers. What else do you want to do? We live in a world made by the USA. And people saying that they want to hate the USA. For what? Uh, why don't you be, learn to be objective and be more thankful? Give credit where credit is due. The United States of America, we can criticize it, I've criticized it, but they made the modern world that we live in. And most inventions, patents, copyrights in the world, they have more patents than the whole world put together. So the Chinese, of course, want to know, why? What are we doing wrong? Why is China not the USA? Why is Germany not the USA or Norway or France? Why is it we don't have uh, all these things that they have, inventions, the know-how, the brain power? What is it with these people? We live in a world, as I said, made by them. Before them, it was the, the Brits, yeah, mostly. So, and you know what the Chinese found? They tried everything. And strangely, or shouldn't be strange, they said they found the answer in the fire of their pulpits. Think about it. Google this, you'll find it. There was a commission that they sent looking for it. 
And apparently that's what they told the Americans. And they went back home. They said there is something unique about their church tradition. There is something there. That is the core, the heart, the, the heartbeat of the USA. Don't forget this was the a nation besides Israel, which other nation is founded upon the notion of God. We're going to New Jerusalem, a city upon a hill, the Pilgrim Fathers. Which country as in God we trust? Hey, somebody say in the dollar we trust. But jokes aside, you, you can't talk about America without talking about God. That's a fact. So, and all the Americans say amen, praise God. Finally, he says something good about the USA. And <laughs> we, we love our American brothers and sisters. God bless them. But the point is, and, and one reason in, uh, what we appreciate in the West and America is a culture of critique. It's very important. And that's why some countries never progress because dictators, they don't allow you to speak your mind. If we are going to progress, we need critique. Jesus was about critique. Amen. Now, I'm saying this because just look at the culture of the Bible. Look at their, this democratic element there. I said it earlier. They talk to the multitudes. What do you think? What shall we do? Never think the Bible is a, a book about, you know, autocracy and accuse the book as if it is like belongs to the uh, Middle Ages or whatever, where it's written before the Middle Ages. But the, the thing is, we need to be very careful because if we begin to rely on earthly gifts, we will be mistaken. When you look today at a country like Israel, I know I, I don't want to talk about the Hamas and all, but I'm speaking about generally. One, you know, one thing we should, and the world knows it, very often they grudgingly admit it. You know, recently people are talking about boycotting Israel. Until somebody realizes that it's almost impossible. You know why? You will have to stop using Wi-Fi. Because a Jew was behind Wi-Fi. That means you can't even. <laughs> you're not online. More, more or less. And then stop using Google. Because the Jews who gave us Google. What else? I mean. You'll, you'll probably live in a cave. In the end. 22% of Nobel Prizes in the USA, the country that has won most Nobel Prizes is USA, chemistry, um, science, etc. Guess what? 22% of those Nobel Prizes have been won by American Jews. And guess what the percentage of Jews is in America? Less than 1%. Less than 1% of the population of USA is responsible for 22% of Nobel Prizes. Explain to me that. I'll, I'll explain to you how. I believe this is not by might. It's not by power. It is by my spirit, saith the Lord. God wants to preserve these people. He said, if you can count the stars and uh, measure the, the universe, then Israel will stop being a nation before my eyes. Jeremiah 31. God made a promise to Abraham. They say in Israel, a tree grows faster than anywhere else. CNN. Wondering why. What is it with this country? They are inventors. They don't have oil. So they have to use their brain. But it's not that. Throughout history, 
something from God. Can we say that X factor from Jesus, from God? So I'm saying Stephen did not rely on any titles. He doesn't have a title. He's deacon. Deacon is a waiter. Stephen, what is your qualification to do miracles today? I am a deacon. Ah, you mean a exalted waiter. You're an exalted waiter. Glorified waiter. He has nothing in the natural. It's the gifts of God. Say gift of God. Jesus can make you an engineer within a short time. He can make you a professor. He can make you anything. Don't rely on earthly gifts. Rely on the Holy Ghost. Everything is by his spirit. Have confidence in the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Believe Jesus' spirit is in you. The God of the universe will take your tongue and speak. Praise God. What's more powerful than the God of the universe will take my brain and invent something. Why not? There can be a Nobel Prize winner from among you tomorrow. Or your children. Tell them to trust in the Holy Ghost, the spirit of Jesus. Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. He didn't try to preach like the Greeks. He was trained in sophistry. He could, he could manipulate if he wanted to. But he told them, you know, when I came to you, I did not come in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the Holy Ghost, praise God. We need to go back to this lesson from Stephen. Stephen did not care about political correctness. He doesn't know these terms, it seems. He didn't care who he was offending. He didn't care that the Pharisees were gnashing at the teeth. He just cares to make sure that when he opens his mouth, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise God. So this is the second lesson we learn from Stephen. In the kingdom of Jesus, it is not titles or natural gifts, but relying on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit which matters. Let's read what the Lord Jesus told us in Luke 21, verses 12 to 15. Luke 21, verses 12 to 15. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testament. Please note, brothers and sisters, when persecution comes, don't be shaken. Don't be shaken because this is God's way of getting a testimony out of us. The first time I went to Israel, I told you, they treated me like a criminal. Three hours. But I was calm. It's like the spirit of Jesus made me calm. They tried to rattle me and shake me. and You know why? Because my only crime was I, I, I'm a Somali. For some people, that's a big crime. <laughs> God bless the Somali. But, you know, pirates and Al-Shabaab. I, I, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. Jesus is my witness. All I do is love Jesus. I went there for Jesus. So, you know, they must have, they, what? It's like, you know, a bomb came. Somebody placed a bomb there. Somali, oh my goodness. It's like alarm. And the next thing I remember is they were like, couldn't believe it. Somali, you came here for what? For Jesus. I said, Jesus, simply. Nothing made sense. It's like somebody coming from Saudi Arabia to Israel saying, I'm here for Jesus. You, you, our arch enemy. I mean, don't lie to us. But the point is, all that noise so that 
Jesus could get a testimony as Jesus is saying, they will put you in prison. They will. I even asked him at one point, am I under arrest? They said, no, no. She was carrying a gun. She's carrying handcuffs. They gave me over to special intelligence officers. But I didn't panic because I knew Jesus is doing something. And very calmly for one hour, I gave them my testimony. My whole testimony is in the computers of the government of Israel. I mean, if there is one government I want to record my testimony, I've hit the jackpot. Israel, of all places, God's own country. Hallelujah. Wonderful. I wish it would go in the Bible. <laughs> Could you please put it in the Bible? So the point is, Jesus tells us, don't fear when trouble comes. Jesus will orchestrate problems, storms, hurricanes. And suddenly the spotlight will be on you. To speak now for Jesus. She was ready with the computer. Why are you here? How did you become a Christian? That was the best interrogation in my life. I would love to do that for the CIA, FBI, everyone. Amen. It's wonderful. You know, you're smiling, happy. They got confused. So, because I'm happy to be in trouble for Jesus. Say, we are happy to be in trouble for Jesus. We are happy to be in trouble for Jesus. Amen. Luke 21 verses, 21 verses 14 and 15. Before that, verse 13, Jesus, it shall turn to you for a testimony. Say, I, my life is for a testimony for Jesus. That's why you should move around. Move around. Say, move around so Jesus can get a testimony. Otherwise, Jesus will move things around for you. Hallelujah. So, Verse 14, settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. Don't meditate. For I will give you a mouth. Ah, thank Jesus. Imagine if you go to an exam and a professor could guarantee you and tell you don't revise for the exam. Don't read anything. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your examiners will be able to resist. Oh, hallelujah. We would all be professors today. But you see, when it comes to the work of Jesus, because brothers and sisters, the kingdom of Jesus is not dependent on how clever we are to talk. The kingdom of Jesus is not dependent on how much education we have. It is dependent on whether you let Jesus talk or you talk. Mm. Somebody say, aha, I finally got the message. Praise God. You know why the kingdom of Jesus sometimes is not being built? Jesus said, I will build my church. We are not letting Jesus talk. Have you ever met people who, you know, oh, I know that I'm not going to get a chance to talk. I'll be lucky if I get to talk two minutes. Whole hour goes and the person is talking. No, 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 no. And he said, eh, 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 eh. And then afterwards, we wonder why we feel terrible around that person. Do we want Jesus to feel that way around us? Jesus comes to him and says, oh, uh, the brother, the sister who never lets me talk. And Jesus is trying, uh, 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 can I say something? He said, wait, 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 Jesus, I'm not finished. I'll, I'll do this job better than you. God have mercy. I'm going back to the nitty-gritty of the Bible. Yeah? Forgive me for speaking in this way, not to offend or be frivolous or mock anyone. But listen to what Jesus is saying. I have to remind myself about this scripture. 
before I witness. I've learned to pray under my breath, Lord. Remember what you promised? You will give me a mouth. Come now, Jesus. Speak now, Jesus. When I pray this prayer, I'm telling you, I feel his power. I know I'm not alone. The message is not just mine. That's why preachers who are preaching under the anointing of the Holy Ghost should never receive compliments or never accept compliments. Oh, I really love your message. If you are speaking under the Holy Ghost and Jesus gave you a mouth to speak for him, why should we be complimenting? Ah, are you with me? Do you understand why we never say, oh, how was my message today? If I ask you how was my message, that means I was speaking from my own mouth, from my own wisdom, my own stupid head. God have mercy. I'm being harsh with myself today. We have to be harsh with ourselves. Then you become arrogant and say, how was my message today? Oh, you want to know how your message was? I thought you were going to ask me how Jesus' message was. All glory be to Jesus. There's a preacher who called his ministry after his own name and Jesus said, uh, okay, thank you. Uh, let me know when you want me to come. Because right now it says so-called your name ministry. I'm not a part of it. Brothers and sisters, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to stop, sorry, worshipping and adoring and promoting preachers and churches and names. We need to go back to Jesus. He saved us, not humans. A church does not save us. Who said a church saves you? This is one of the biggest false doctrines floating around. The church is saved by Jesus. So how does a church have salvation? Did a church die for you? Is the church God? Is the church God? It's blasphemy. Jesus saved us. Jesus is God. His name means God is my savior. There is no other name. Say with me, there is no other name. Acts 4, 12. Whatever the name of that church, there is no other name under heaven. Is your church registered in, in under heaven? Then listen, there is no other name. Whether it's Jesus alone, his church, God, or whatever. I even don't remember sometimes the name of our church. It's not important. What is important is I use the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. Because in heaven nobody is saved. Under heaven, among men, on this earth, please use the name of Jesus. Don't use Brother Paul's name. Don't use minister's name. Leave it aside. We need to go back to the Bible. Stephen could not be shut up. Jesus said, I will give you a mountain wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gain. Because they are his adversaries. So it is clear that Stephen understood and practiced these words of the Lord better than most Christians. All he did was to stay, stay full of the Holy Ghost. And the Lord used him powerfully everywhere. Say, my duty is to stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Our job is to stay full of the Holy Spirit and the Lord will use us wonderfully. Amen. You know what the Bible says about anointing? Turn with me to Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Acts 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them. 
that they had been with Jesus. Ah, you see, it's okay to be unlearned. Okay to be ignorant. As long as you are with Jesus. Because Jesus is learned and Jesus is wise. Amen. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Jesus. Stephen was so surrendered to the Lord that his brain, his tongue, and his words became the words of Jesus. Hallelujah. His brain became the brain of Jesus. His tongue became the tongue of Jesus. No wonder people could not debate him. You know, when Jesus comes in the Holy Ghost, it's not easy to debate him. Hallelujah. They found that they were debating Jesus himself. Are people debating us or Jesus? How can anyone win against Jesus? You remember how Jesus was confounding the Pharisees and the Sadducees since the age of 12. How about that? Since the age of 12. Praise God. A 12-year-old Jesus was enough for the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Don't look at that body. Look at the God who is in that body. Don't think this is a 12-year-old speaking to you. The one who is speaking is the king of kings. The Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The one who was there from everlasting. Hallelujah. That's the one I want to speak through me. Hallelujah. I know when I've been anointed and people who are anointed will tell you. I've said things I realize later. There is no way I could have known this. This is from the Spirit of God directly. Hallelujah. All glory be to Jesus. Amen. Remember what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 verses 46 and 47. Luke 2, 46 and 47, it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. Ah, PhD holders, we know them. Both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Give me a 12-year-old Jesus. Hallelujah is enough for all the doctors, all the PhD holders. Amen. They will introduce themselves with all their PhDs and we say, and here is Jesus. It's enough. The one who made you. The one who gave you a brain. The one who taught you to argue. How can I try to argue with the one who gave me a brain and a mouth? How? God have mercy. I will just shut my mouth before Jesus. When I pray, I shut my mouth a long time. I tell Jesus I have nothing to tell you because I feel like, what am I going to tell you? If I start to speak and you say, you know everything. I say, Lord, you know everything. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. Make me a better person. There's nothing to talk really. You know everything. Have mercy upon me. And I keep repeating that for half an hour. That's my prayer. <laughs> Amen. Somebody thinks we pray some unique prayers. We have no unique prayers. When I come before the king of kings, the one who knows my thoughts before I know my own thoughts, read Psalm 139. What does David said? You knew me even before my substance was formed. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Where shall I run from you? What are we going to talk to such a God about? Just have mercy on me. Like the man in the temple who looked down. Have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. 
I'm ashamed to come before you. Please make me a, a person who pleases you. I'm not exaggerating. That's my prayer to my God. So may God make us what he can be proud of. Our standard is Jesus. Nothing less, nothing more. Jesus. But let's go. Now we've talked about, I hope we've done justice to Stephen the deacon and Stephen the preacher. God bless Stephen. He's alive with Jesus. Now let's talk about Stephen the martyr. Stephen the martyr. The man who gave his life for Jesus. The Muslims call them Shaheed. We hear that word a lot. Uh, Jesus never asks anybody to strap bombs upon himself and become a Shaheed. That's not the martyrdom that we know. We don't ask for martyrdom. We believe life is a gift from God. And in some unique circumstances, Jesus will grant you the grace and the privilege to be a martyr. So let's speak about that. It's difficult, painful when I, this part made me cry a lot uh, because we love the people of God. We love Jesus. For me, these are dear people. They are part of the church. They didn't die a long time ago. The church is alive, brother. It's the body of Christ. Those in heaven and earth. It's not a church you register in your government, with your government. This is the name of my church, really. Does Jesus recognize them? Amen. Who are the members? My government allows me only to register so and so. That's why we are saying the church doesn't belong to your country alone. It's transnational. Somebody says supranational. Amen. Even it's not like the United Nations. You know why? It has many members in heaven. What do you call such an organization? Huh? It's in heaven and earth. It's the only organism because it's alive. Hallelujah. It's alive. Samuel is a member. Sister Alim is a member. Peter is a member. Sister Monica is a member. Cloud of witness. Oh, hallelujah. It's a unique, unique. You know, we are speaking about something amazing. Something that no social scientist can describe. Nobody can study this. Amen. It's unique. It's unique. It's the body of Christ. And we are all privileged to be part of it. Nobody has a monopoly on it. Let nobody fool you to think that they are specially more chosen. Some animals are more equal than others. George Orwell, 1984. No, no, no. We are not children anymore. Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56 says, Acts 7, 55 and 56. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost. Every, do you notice how many times he's full of the Holy Ghost? Ah, didn't I tell you this Stephen is special? Special. He's one of the few guys I keep reading, full of the Holy Ghost. Man, praise God. How can we be full of the Holy Ghost always? Whether we are serving at tables. I can imagine Stephen bursting out in tongues while he's serving food. Hallelujah. Ah. 
Then suddenly he goes out to preach. He lays hands. He's speaking in tongues. And now, again, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, if I would have seen 50 Sadducees and Pharisees and Sadducees, including Saul of Tarsus, brothers and sisters, I don't know how much I would be full of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> God have mercy. <laughs> it's not easy to be full of the Holy Ghost. If I had seen like, sorry, uh, 50 guys with big beards looking at me like they want to kill me, it's difficult to be full of the Holy Ghost. But Jesus is always around. Say Jesus is around. Especially when the, my time comes to die. Say when I, it, it's time to die, Jesus I only ask you that I will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost before I leave. What a way to leave this world. Full of the Holy Ghost. I wish they bury me speaking in tongues in Jesus. Hallelujah. Ha. That is the way to leave this world. With a bang, not with a whimper in Jesus' name. And that's how Stephen left. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So the Bible says, he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. Somebody say, steadfastly into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Verse 56, and said, behold, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Ooh, hallelujah. This, this needs some, some uh, dwelling upon. So finally, we're speaking about Stephen the Martin now. The third phase, the last phase of his life. The hour came when a young Stephen, not more than 30 years maximum of age, would fulfill the meaning of his name, Stephanos. Somebody shout Stephanos. I pray somebody calls their child Stephanos. Stephen. Crown. He was to be crowned a martyr for Jesus. Praise God. Oh, God bless Stephen. God bless Stephen. Amen. What a fantastic defense he put up for the king of kings and lord of lords somebody needs to cry to jesus i cried when i wrote that lord may i put up a defense for you like stephen someday praise god where did he get this strength from i'll tell you where the clue is listen carefully Acts 755 says he looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Listen, we missed something with the story of Stephen. When he saw all the faces of the Pharisees. <laughs> Sorry to put it this way, but imagine if I saw 50 faces of Hezbollah and Hamas looking at me. I'm going to panic. But you know what's the good news? He looked up to heaven. Ah, Somebody say he looked up to heaven. And he saw Jesus. Now we know where he got the strength to be a martyr. Before they killed him, he saw Jesus steadfastly. Somebody says steadfastly. Oh, if only we could look up steadfastly to heaven. When we meet Pharisees and Sadducees, there will be nothing that can stop us from speaking like Stephen. Ah, if it comes time for me to die and I pray that I can look up to heaven and heaven will be opened. And listen, brothers and sisters, listen. This is the climax of the message. If there ever is a climax, Jesus was not sitting. He was standing at the place of power, right hand. Trinitarians, don't get excited. It means the place of power. Guess what? Normally, Jesus is sitting. You know what he saw? Jesus standing. 
I checked many places in the Bible. It's not easy to find Jesus standing. He's supposed to be sitting on the throne. But you know what? Jesus is standing to encourage him. It's like he is ready to give him a crown. Jesus was so happy. Jesus was so honored that he stood up. Can somebody clap for Jesus and clap for Stephen? It's like Jesus himself is giving a standing ovation to Stephen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the honor that Jesus gave him? Normally humans fall down before Jesus. But here Jesus is standing, ready to receive him, telling him, come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah, Stephen. Come on, don't be afraid of him. Ah, if Jesus is standing and cheering for me from heaven, I'm telling you the whole world could be Hezbollah and Hamas and want to kill me. I, I shouldn't use Hezbollah and Hamas. God bless them. We pray for them. And, uh, oh, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees, and then the Jews will get angry at me. Uh, whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean. The adversaries. Let's call them the adversaries. We don't want to offend anybody. The point is this. Here is a man who has no fear, full of the Holy Ghost. He looks around him and he sees he's surrounded with people picking up stones. Saul of Tarsus is among them. You are alone. Where is the church? Where are the Christians? He was alone because they would have killed the other Christians. Suddenly he looks around. Always wondered where did he get his strength from? Why didn't he lose courage when he saw all of them? Because the Bible says he looked up to heaven. He saw Jesus standing, looking at him. Ah, <laughs> Come on, praise God. No wonder I, I exploded and I cried when I understood this. Let me tell you. When God himself stands up and looks at you and is cheering you on, there is nothing in this world, no force in this world that will stop you from preaching. You will lose fear of losing fear of, of losing your life. Because you're looking up steadfastly. Somebody says steadfastly. Do you want to preach more powerfully? Do you want to witness more powerfully? Do you want to leave a greater impact for Jesus? Look steadfastly to Jesus. Don't look at your church. They're human beings. Don't look at some leader. Who are they? Look to the throne. See Jesus standing up for you. Amen. And you can achieve anything for Jesus. You will lose fear of everybody. It seems the stones were not hurting. How can the stones hurt me if I'm seeing Jesus standing up and looking at me? The right hand. I've written a book about the right hand of God. Psalm 16 verse 8. David said, the Lord is my right at my right hand. Ah, because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. How about that? Right hand. Is a place of power. Yamin Yahweh. Has nothing to do with two or three or four people. What are you talking about? So who's on the left hand side? Trinitarians confuse themselves and confuse everybody with this terminology. Ask the Jews. The Jew, It's Hebrew. No Jew believes that this is speaking about two or three persons. A Jew will tell you right hand means the place of power. The place of God. Nothing more. Don't add to the what the Jews know. Salvation is still of the Jews. Although I know some other countries want to replace the Jews. Uh, best of luck to you. Or you think you are Jews. That's, that's their business. Because it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek. 
What matters is you're baptized in Jesus' name and are the son of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now listen, coming back again, because we shouldn't leave this beautiful truth. Now we see the man who always relied on the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Ghost. Where did he get his strength from? God have mercy. There will be times we'll be put in positions like, like Stephen. We'll be surrounded. We'll be alone. Look up steadfastly to heaven. Jesus will stand. Hallelujah. He's not even sitting. I was wondering, why is he standing? There's only one reason. He's honoring Stephen. What a God we serve. What a humble God we serve. Hallelujah. He was so honored by the defense of Stephen. That Jesus stood up. To honor the testimony of Stephen. God must not stand for man. Man must bow down before his God. However, in the case of Stephen, the Lord stood up. Encouraged Stephen. And waited to receive his spirit into heaven. Can God bestow greater honor than this upon a mere mortal? How could Stephen not be encouraged to continue preaching and testifying when he could look up to heaven and see the Lord standing and applauding him? Ah. So in conclusion, I want to say, this is the last and greatest lesson Stephen, young Stephen taught us. Look steadfastly to heaven. Keep testifying for Jesus until we fall down dead. Huh? Until we fall down dead. Praise God. If you end up in hospital and then you're in a coma, you wake up, you should wake up and ask, am I dead? And the doctor says, no. They said, then I've got to keep preaching. I've, I've got to keep preaching. I've got to keep testifying. Amen. If I'm dead, I'm in heaven. I don't need to preach. Jesus did not die in vain. And Stephen did not die in vain. Stephen saw the Lord and he knew the Lord rose up from the dead. He knew that he too would rise up from the dead. That's where he got his strength from. He looked up. He saw Jesus. And soon, another man behind him, or in front of him, called Saul of Tarsus. You don't know when you stand for Jesus. Somebody said, why did he die? You could have won many people. He won Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus could never preach again without mentioning Stephen. Huh? You see? When you lose fear and suffer for Christ, there will be a Saul of Tarsus listening to you. There will be a Saul of Tarsus whose life will never be the same. Stephen entered into his head. Stephen entered into his skin. Stephen entered into his dreams, into his nightmares, into his waking hours. Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. Until on the road to Damascus, he was hit by Jesus. May you be a Stephen for a Saul of Tarsus. He gave his life so Saul of Tarsus could rise from the ashes. So Paul of Tarsus could rise from Paul the Apostle could rise God allowed a lesser man to pass so a greater so to speak ministries to arise it was not in vain Tertullian said famously the blood of the saints is the seed of the church say with me 
the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. No Christian will die in vain. If one of us is killed for Jesus' name, there will be revival. Our blood will be seed in Jesus' name. We should not fear death in the name of Jesus. We should only fear that we will fail Jesus at that hour. If God calls you to honor him like Stephen, let's pray today that I will not lose my crown, my Stephanos. Hallelujah. Don't lose your Stephanos. Don't lose your crown. I'm serious in Jesus' name. So he knew too that God, Jesus is risen from the dead. If Saul of Tarsus could see, you know, Saul of Tarsus heard him say, I see the Lord standing. He was shocked. He must have been looking around Saul of Tarsus. What is this Jesus? I'm trying to kill people who are saying Jesus is risen from the dead. And this guy is happily dying and saying he's seeing Jesus. Ah, <laughs> no wonder not long after that. Just three chapters after that. Saul of Tarsus himself. Here's Jesus. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you kill Stephen, you are persecuting me. Hallelujah. My goodness. By that time, Stephen had tortured him enough. May our testimony torture people enough. So when Jesus finally speaks, they will only say, what will you have me do? Time of argument is finished in Jesus' name. Ah, hallelujah. Don't give up on your soul of Tarsus. If Saul of Tarsus is that person who's always troubling you because of Jesus, always trying to shut you down, always encouraging others to throw scones at you. You know that Saul of Tarsus. He may be at your job. He may be when you, whatever, whatever you've met them. Don't give up. Enter into their heads in Jesus' name, their dreams. Hallelujah. Let them know, yes, you will be full of the Holy Ghost. You will never stop serving Jesus. So let me conclude by saying, saints of God, you do not know. I don't know how my end will be for Jesus. But I pray it will glorify Jesus. Eh? I prayed yesterday, Lord, I pray I will glorify you in my death more than in my life. I pray you to be full of the Holy Spirit and stand steadfastly, to see steadfastly into heaven, the Lord standing on the right hand in heaven, applauding and cheering you along the way. May you also inherit your crown of life, your Stephanus. May we honor Jesus in our lives, in our life as we're doing now, and more so in your death. I told the Lord, I, I want to leave with honoring you. Amen. May we die glorious deaths for the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying, uh, look, I'm not saying that may somebody stone us to death or be electrocuted somewhere or chop our heads off with a sword like in Saudi Arabia. No, I'm saying even if you're in a sick bed, deathbed, I pray that I can still witness to people, still touch somebody. Before I leave this world. I may be down with cancer. God forbid whatever. But. Like Samson. 
before I die, I want to take some people also down with me into the burial of baptism in Jesus' name so they will live forever. Huh? There's a message right there. How about that? We should want to take some people down with us into baptism when we die and they will rise up. It's time for us to go, but let them live in Jesus' name. May we win more people to Jesus at our, on our deathbed than in our whole lives in Jesus. Are you with me? <laughs> Praise God. Say amen if you believe this. Whatever you believe in will happen. Do you believe you can win more people before you die than... How many people did Jesus, Sam, Stephen win to God before he died? I'm sure many people are touched. Many people must have given their lives to the Lord. That was how the church used to grow. When Polycarp was killed, it was a big event in the Roman Empire. Many people said, is this how Christians are? Look at how we are. We are like barbarians. Look at these Christians. I want to be a Christian, they said. Ah, oh, praise God. May God. We have a proud heritage, brothers and sisters. My heritage is not from some country in this world. Don't waste your time with countries. Our heritage is Stephen. Say Stephen is my, my country. Our country is heaven. Abraham left uh, countries on this earth. What's wrong with us as Christians? So that he's looking for a city whose builder and maker God. Which country are we in? Have we become worldly? Looking for passports? Are we looking for passports? Or look, are we looking for the country whose builder and maker God? The country where Father Abraham is. We are not of this world. Stop digging deeper roots into this world. Start climbing trees higher to heaven in Jesus' name. Praise God. And we know the Lord was standing, received him. And what a glorious testimony this man left behind. May our deaths be glorious for Jesus. I know it's a taboo subject to talk about our debts. But brother and sister, at some point we have to cross that river. Amen. We have to cross that Jordan, so to speak. Jordan is where Elijah went up to heaven. The children of Israel crossed the river Jordan. Before that, they were circumcised. Crossing the Jordan is entering the land of promise. So when I say cross the Jordan, we all have to cross that river someday. I pray that however our death may be, it will still be glorious for Jesus. It will be glorious. I told Jesus, please, I don't care about my reputation. I've never bothered, not one on iota. I always said, if you want to undermine me and my reputation, I will help you. I promise you, I will help you. I'll give you a whole list of my weaknesses. <laughs> I'll give you a whole list of stones. I'm going to give you all kinds of stones to throw at me because I really don't care for my name. It doesn't matter. What matters is what Jesus thinks about me. That's all that matters. What does it matter if everybody's clapping for me and Jesus is going to send me to hell? God forbid. I would rather one word from Jesus is enough. Well done. Two words. Well done. Stephen Jesus is standing for him. <laughs> Jesus is standing for him to welcome. May Jesus stand for you when you're about to die. May Jesus stand for you. I want to tell you one of the most, 
wonderful things I heard recently is, you remember I was in Egypt, March or something this year, just to baptize one person, a denominational pastor, because they were saying nobody wants to baptize him from the Apostolic Church. He's been waiting six months. I'm telling you, it was only for the baptism that I went there. I didn't know what will come after us. But while I was preaching there at night, the wife of this pastor, Sister Huda, God touched her heart. And she said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name also. And guess what? She had cancer. We prayed for her. I was told some time ago she became better. She's okay. But now I heard she's gone to be with Jesus. So I understood why Jesus took me to Egypt, a Muslim country. I could have been in danger. But I went by faith because Jesus knew he's going to take her to heaven. So I'm happy today. And I thank God that before death snatched her, we were able to go there. And God bless everybody who supported me with the ticket, with this, that hotel, because Jesus took that soul to heaven. He knew her time was finished. And people who are close to her, not baptizing and Jesus saying, so he brings us from the North Pole to baptize. And we will do it anywhere in the world. Because we want Jesus to be glorified before somebody's death. Say, may Jesus snatch people from Satan's jaws at the point of death in Jesus' name. It taught me a lesson. We need to be careful. We, let's not make excuses. Let's do the work of Jesus. Wherever the door may open, let's go there. The man of Macedonia. Paul went for one man. Man of Macedonia. Paul, come and help us. Boiteo, we need help. We beg you. Paul immediately went. And look at the work he did. A brother from Nepal has been sending me messages even today. Three baptized, four baptized. God bless him. I'm happy. We gave you the word of God. We gave you the truth. He sent pictures. Three baptized today. Praise God. So, I wish I could have shown you some of these pictures that I have here. Maybe if Sister Hymenoth could uh, uh, send it to everyone. I want to encourage you. We are not just preaching. We are about the business of Jesus. This is serious business. Amen. And I believe anyone can do great things for Jesus. Praise God. Uh, oh, did he send this? Did he put it somewhere? I don't know how you got this, but is it the same ones that I have here? Or are these old ones? Because I'm I'm seeing... Uh, yeah, yeah, these are the ones. You're right, you're right. Uh, this is in the international. Good. Look at these pictures. There are many of them. So here is this brother. I'm sorry those who are listening on audio later can't see this. But he's baptizing people in Jesus' name. We are very happy. We are praying for that. We gave them the full doctrine of one God, baptism in Jesus' name, Receiving the Holy Ghost, putting on the flesh of Jesus, which is of the word of God. And there were more pictures. I don't know if you have some of them. So with the with, with all the people in the church together, I guess, there's one with several raising their hands. What a beautiful picture. There you go. And more of them. Uh, God bless them. Let's continue to pray for Nepal. And let's pray the truth will uh, this is from 
Nepal, Nepal, not Egypt. So this is Nepal. I was in Nepal and Egypt <laughs> and also Ivory Coast, Brother Ephraim. Uh, Brother Ephraim and the work in Ivory Coast is, is the most successful, 50 people. But we thank God for every soul. Brother Lash is in Holland doing an amazing job, sowed the seeds, sacrifice, paid for them to come to the conference in Holland, put them in expensive hotels. I'm so proud of our brothers, Brother Lash, Brother Ephraim. God bless them. And may God continue to use us. We do not despise the day of small things. Amen. We don't need permission from anybody to do the work of Jesus. Like Stephen, be encouraged. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Tomorrow we don't know where this truth will go. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Sister Imanot. God bless you. And I'm saying this because my heart is filled. Look at Stephen. Look at where he ended up. From tables, he was doing miracles to being killed by Pharisees. But God gave a sign. His work will never stop. Saul of Tarsus was standing there. Thinking he finished the greatest preacher. One of the greatest preachers. He didn't know that God is going to choose him to be the greatest preacher. I am not happy. You cannot be happy if we are the only so-called preachers and men of God or women of God. We have to multi take what we have. Give it to the world in Jesus. So that they will reach everybody else. Amen. So let's conclude. By saying, may we die glorious deaths for the Lord Jesus. Seal our testimony for him with our blood by his grace. If, if he so desires. Say, if he so desires. Let's read Acts 7, 59, 16, conclusion. And then we'll pray. And also Acts 7, 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen. Calling upon God. And saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Think about this. Think about this. No bitterness. Only love. We have no bitterness towards anybody. Lord, do not lay a charge on anybody. They don't know what they do. Saul of Tarsus was shocked. You know, when somebody hates you and you hate them back, then they love it. Troublemakers love it when you hate them back. But when you bless them back, they get confused. They don't know what to do. When you humble yourself, they say, huh? I, please, can you pick up your sword and fight me? I say, no, no, no. I bless you in Jesus' name. The kingdom of the devil gets confused. God bless Stephen. God bless the example he set before us. May we be like Stephen. May we be humble to accept any job in the house of God. May we be, allow the spirit of God when he takes you from tables to preach, preach. And when he says, now you will die the death of a martyr. Thank you, Jesus. Let me be your Stephanus. Let's pray. I want you to pray with me for yourself. You don't know how you're going to die. I don't want to dishonor Jesus in my death may I don't want to die like Saul even David cried for Jonathan but at least Jonathan died gloriously he never betrayed David and he still is fighting the battles of the Lord and he still was with his father but look at the death of Saul 
Look at the death of Judas. What a death. Akeldama. His guts. He was greedy. He loved his stomach. So his stomach burst. Samson couldn't control his eyes, so he lost his eyes. Why don't we give our eyes to Jesus? Give our stomach to Jesus. Amen. And we will keep them. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry to uh, laugh. I, I don't want my stomach to burst. I don't want my eyes to fall out. May God have mercy. Amen. So let's pray that we will honor Jesus in our death. That people will say, surely. When the Lord died, you know what this Roman soldier said? He said, surely this is the son of God. Because in his death, his death was glorious. Jesus' death was the most glorious. Even the heavens and the earth cried. Came dark. The sun refused to shine. The earth shook. Why? Because this is uh, the earth's maker, creator. <laughs> the earth is protesting at the way we treated our creator. The earth is ashamed and hides its face. Have mercy, Jesus. May we glorify him in our death. We owe him everything, brothers and sisters. Jesus is everything for us. I was again today witnessing to somebody. And again, I'm talking about my testimony. And I said, you know, I didn't do this because I, I suffered. I mean, it's pain when you leave Islam. But I truly love Jesus. He means everything to me. After 36 years, sorry, 37 years, I, live, I love him as I did in the beginning. He's everything to me. And if he asked me to lay down my life for him, may I do it like Stephen, because Jesus deserves it. He deserves it. And still, I'm an unprofitable servant. Still, I'm, I'm an unprofitable servant. He is great. There's no one like Jesus. There truly is nobody like Jesus. When you know him through prayer, you will truly say there's no one like him. Everything. Death? Give my life? That's nothing. It should be that way. My life, nothing. I wish I had five million lives to give him. Can we pray in Jesus' name? Lord Jesus, we thank you today. The God of Stephen. Stephen, you are proud to be associated with Stephen. The God of Paul, the God of Peter, the God, hallelujah, of the apostles. We bless you, man. This was a, an inspiring but sobering message, Jesus, a solemn message. For who would not want to not only live victoriously for you, but honor you by sealing their blood for you, Jesus. In, the, in our deaths, let your name be glorified, Jesus. This is what we pray. We pray that we will glorify you in our death. Peter glorified you in his death. Paul glorified you in his death. We've been to see the places, the buildings they built for the apostles in Rome where they were martyred for you. We've seen those places. We've seen where John has been buried for you in Ephesus. We've seen where Philip died in Hierapolis for you. We've seen where Thomas laid his life for you in Chennai, 
India. We've seen many places where your forces died for you. Oh Lord, we pray today that we will also not bring shame to you in our death. May we speak like Stephen for you. May we be full of the Holy Ghost for you. And before that, we also pray that we will be full of the Holy Ghost in whatever capacity, whatever station in the church that you place us in to execute our tasks full of the Holy Ghost. Whether it's cleaning the toilets, whether it's being an usher, whether it's whatever it may be, Jesus, to do it full of the Holy Ghost, like Stephen. If we are called to testify, let us do it like Stephen. Jesus, hallelujah. We bless you today. We thank you for this message. I pray that you inspire us again and again through the life of the first Christian martyr. We bless you. We thank you. We give you the glory. We bless your mighty name. Bless all those who will listen to this message, wherever they may be in the world. Let them know that everyone can be a Stephen. Everyone can be a Stephen. All this we pray in Jesus' holy name. And the church says, Amen, Amen, Amen. God bless you.